Today we're starting a new series called Great Awakening, and it's really about the presence and the person and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 13. We're going to go from verse 1 to verse 12 is where we'll start today. And uh, it's really an opportunity for us to just settle into, okay, person of the Holy Spirit, presence of the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit. What does that look like in our lives? What do we believe that's supposed to look like? So Acts chapter 13, verse 1, we'll start there. It'll come up on the screen. Among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch and Syria were Barnabas. Uh, they were Simeon and Lucius and uh, Manan. Uh, and Saul. One day these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work that I've called them to. So after more uh, fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and set them on their way. Uh, so Saul and Barnabas were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport, and they sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salimus, uh, they went to the Jewish synagogue, and they preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterwards, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached uh, Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, and he had attached himself to a governor. Uh, the governor was an intelligent man. The governor actually invited Barnabas and Saul to visit with him. He wanted to hear the word of God. But Alamus, the sorcerer, he interfered and urged the governor not to pay any attention to Paul and to Barnabas. He was trying to keep them, trying to keep the governor from believing. So Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked at the sorcerer in the eye and he said, You son of the devil. We stop right there. Paul's being really hard with his language. In our modern day vernacular, he'd be saying something very akin to USOB. He got really firm and he goes on here. And again, power of the Holy Spirit, he says something that maybe some of us would shudder with. I don't like that language. You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit, fraud, and the enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Now watch for the Lord will lay his hand punishment upon you and you'll be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly a mist and darkness covered the man's eyes and he began groping around and begging for someone to take him and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Now, this part is, is, is part of the scripture. Again, nuanced thing. Sometimes we just skip over. Because of an experience, it says that this guy who the sorcerer was trying to keep away from actually becoming a believer, he was actually wanting to hear what Paul and, Bar uh, Paul and Barnabas were saying, Saul and Barnabas were saying, they knew that there was something about the words and demonstration that this man would actually come to know Christ and he wanted to keep him at arm's length. The sorcerer did, so he didn't want to get him involved. However, it just ends up that they come into contact with each other. Saul looks the man dead in the eye and knows his intentions are bad and says, you dirty, rotten, whatever, whatever. You're the enemy of all things good. 
God is gonna, God is gonna stand in your way. He's not gonna allow you to keep this man from hearing the gospel. And then in demonstration of the blindness, there's a teaching about the gospel. There's a teaching about the Lord and it literally saves him. This experience based on a teaching or something that is experienced and then there's a truth drawn out of it, this man becomes saved. So what's the point? The point is the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus through miraculous signs that the world around us needs to see. There's sovereign grace that we're gonna cover today. The spiritual gifts we'll talk about in, in a very light fashion. And everyday believers, the sovereign grace of God. God endows us with his power, the presence of the Holy Spirit, but it is sovereign. Everything about it is sovereign. He moves as he moves. We don't get to manipulate the hand of the Holy Spirit. We don't get to pray enough to manipulate it. We don't get to give enough to manipulate it. We can't read our Bibles well enough to manipulate the presence of God. He either moves or he doesn't. It's the sovereignty of God. And then the grace of God, the grace of God that's a gift, the empowerment, the endowment of power from God is the grace of God and it manifests in spiritual gifts in ways that we're gifted, in ways that he's leading us, in ways that he's moving in us. And so today I wanna even lay out a word that might be a little bit distracting for some and it might be a big woohoo moment for others, but how should everyday believers be charismatic? That word charismatic comes from the gifts, charismata or the word gift in the old or the new testament in the greek charismata that we are gifted ones charismatic simply means to be gifted that we are gifted or empowered of the holy spirit that we all have a purpose on planet earth we have a destiny and in that destiny god is going to infuse us with specific gifts he's going to give us gifts to do what he's called us to do so there's assumptions, I think, that we can draw from our reading, their short reading this morning, that yes, everyday believers should be empowered of the Holy Spirit, that there should be a sense of the charismata, the charismatic gifts. And I think the scripture in this, this particular passage points to the idea that it should be done. We should learn how to live in our gifts, that it can be done and that it must be done. That being a charismatic person or being a gifted person is vital. Now, I'm not saying charismatic in the craziness. We'll talk about that in a second. But charismatic in the idea that we are gifted of God. So how should everyday believers be charismatic? Well, today we want to look from about a 30,000-foot view perspective. We'll get into the details later in the series over the next five weeks. But I pray that this series is refreshing to those of you who have an understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit in your life. And for those of you that have never experienced God on that level, I pray that it entices you to want to know more, that you become hungry with the idea to know more of the presence of God. I hope we can come to a practical theological outworking of what it is to be charismatic, to have this idea of being gifted of the Holy Spirit. So today I won't take a long time defining the gifts that will line out later. There's expressions that are lined out, that are the gifts of God. We'll talk about that at some other moment. Today, we're gonna focus on my experiences marinated with some scripture, and hopefully, we'll learn something together. But I have to ask the question, when I talk about that everyday believers should be endowed with power, should be gifted of the Holy Spirit, should be gifted and guided by the voice of the Holy Spirit, we have to ask the question, why are some people hesitant or suspicious when we talk about the idea or the person of the Holy Spirit? 
Why would any Bible-believing, Christ-centered, theology-loving person be hesitant, would be hesitant or cautious when we're talking about the Holy Spirit? And the more and more I think of that question, the simple answer is that we're afraid. Sometimes we're afraid because it's the unknown. We just don't know what it is for the Holy Spirit to endow us with power. Sometimes it's fear and they're irrational fears. And most irrational fears just come because we've heard a story or we've experienced something slightly and we really don't have good founded information. But then there are others who have really good experiences and reasons to be cautious. Because somebody in the name of God, in the, in the name of the Holy Spirit, in the name of, of charismatic mania craziness has done something that has turned you off. And that's some people in this room. I'll give you an example in my own life. Excuse me. My wife and I were in a meeting, uh, a pastor, uh, an evangelist is preaching and he takes it upon himself. He believes that he's got just a word from God. He has got to really say something to my wife and I. And he brings us up and he starts to quote unquote prophesy or speak over us. And he's talking about a relationship in my life that's bad. And at the time it definitely was not bad. And he starts just hacking into this relationship and saying, God told him, God told him, I need to heal, God told him. And at the end of the day, we walked away and my wife's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool, I'm okay. What's, I don't know what's going on. And she's like, well, that, that, that didn't work for me because I know that's not the relationship you had. I know that's not right. So, so what do we do with it? Is, is there something pending, some pending doom that's gonna hurt us? Or, or, or was this just out of nowhere and, and it's not a, a thought for us to carry and we didn't really know. We prayed about it and we dismissed it because it really wasn't for us. See, what, what can happen in a relationship or, or in, a, in, a, in a friendship when someone comes to you and says, God told me, God spoke to me, and they speak to an instance and, and, and you just really, it's not true. It's, it's not what's going on. What do you do with that? Well, you learn how to dismiss it and you learn how to move on, but some folks have bad experiences and because of those bad experiences, they then don't trust when someone says they come in the name of the Holy Spirit. They don't trust, even for their own life, the leading of the Holy Spirit. See, I'm careful not to despise prophecy because there's a, a reason and a purpose for prophecy, but I also recognize nonsense and in our life, that was just nonsense. That was someone trying to showboat and show off and he didn't do a very good job of it. See, why would anyone be hesitant when we talk about the Holy Spirit? Well, very often people are left with experiences that just don't work for them. They're, they're, they're really not tied to anything real in their life and someone's trying to push or force on them an experience. And other times it's just personality. They don't understand what it is to be gifted of the Holy Spirit. They've heard terms like speaking in tongues and they think to themselves, I'm not this tongue talking, babbling kind of a guy. I'm a nice guy. I don't need that in my life. Some of us have seen the TV preacher and he's selling prophecies. And if you give him 50 bucks, it's gonna be awesome. And if you give him five, it's just gonna be okay. It'll get you through, but it isn't gonna be really that cool. But there's moments in time where we've learned to have maybe a hard heart towards what the, the Bible really specifically calls us to, a relationship that's so deep-seated that the Holy Spirit can move in us and affect lives around us. So who hasn't been in a meeting, a church meeting, where, man, everything's just going really well, church service is going awesome, the band is kicking, everybody's in unison, we feel the presence of God, it's just flowing, the pastors and the speakers are flowing, it's just awesome. 
feels so interconnected, feels so, such a move of the Holy Spirit, and then someone in the background just starts getting up and shouting. Shouting maybe even in tongues or shouting in a language we don't understand, or they're just shouting a prayer, and it cuts through the room, and it just silences everybody. And you're like, whoa, what happened? What was that? And we don't, really know how to, we don't really know how to process through some of those moments. Listen, I'm half Mexican, half German, both very, very loud people, very loud people. My dad was a chiropractor, so our family was already kind of weird. I don't embarrass easily because of these factors. But when somebody is in a church meeting and things are just rocking and rolling and it's going smooth as silk and the Holy Spirit's moving and someone cuts it off because they want to show off or because they think they have something in a vein that God's not leading them in and they just kind of abruptly cause the service to come to a halt, that scares me a little bit, weirds me out, not going to lie. The Holy Spirit is, wants to free people, not freeze them. The Holy Spirit wants to cut you loose, not cause you to freeze up and tense up and wonder what is going on. So anytime we refer to the expressions of the Holy Spirit, they must be done in a way that frees people, not freezes them. They must be done in a way that allows people to experience a full nature and gravity of the person of God, not box them into a corner and say, your expression or your experience has to be my way or it's not valid. I've experienced some expressions, quote unquote expressions of the Holy Spirit that were just abuse and because of lack of wisdom and many times ignorance because people haven't been taught well that there were folks that were hurt on the other end. And of course there are certain circles where the weirder it is, the more applauded it becomes that if you bark like a dog in a corner, that's the Holy Ghost. That if you fall on the ground and roll up and down the aisles that that must mean you are being attacked by the presence of God, hallelujah, you'll be changed. And some of those things just are craziness. And some of those things are genuine moves of God, probably not barking like a dog. Just clarify that one. But I wanna tell you that there, there, scripture doesn't give us the permission to put the brakes even though we've been offended. Scripture doesn't give us the permission to put the person of the Holy Spirit on a shelf and not investigate who he is in our lives just because we've come in contact with something that, doesn't, that we don't understand, it doesn't fit our context. We don't get to look at the total landscope of spirituality and say, I know how everything should be and as long as it defines itself within my little box, then it's okay. No, we're actually given quite a different charge. Mark chapter one, verse nine through 11. And I'm gonna go through it very quickly. Uh, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth uh, in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. I had the opportunity last year to go to the Jordan River. It's beautiful. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven torn open. I love this, this language, this word picture. He saw heaven torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. It's a beautiful depiction here that Jesus is baptized. He's baptized by his cousin and he's brought up out of the water. And as he's brought up, there's this new revelation of the presence and power and spirit of God that literally heaven is torn apart, that the sky is torn open. 
I love the language there, the word picture. The Greek is so very specific and descriptive that God reached in with a sense of urgency and pulled back the curtain so that his son could see, not just physically, but spiritually, what was about to befall him. And it settled on him like a dove, and it was the person or the presence of the Holy Spirit. This Jesus, the Spirit had to come upon him, and it triggered his ministry to a different dimension and to a different understanding. And I would submit to you today that if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, it is nothing short of arrogance for us to think that we are fine without that self-same spirit. That if we don't believe we need the presence of God, manifest form as the Holy Spirit of God indwelling on the inside of us and giving us the power to do what we couldn't do on our own, if we don't feel we need that, we are nothing short of arrogant. See, there's a plan of God for us as Christians to go, but it's not to just go for the sake of going. It's so that we can be effective. And when Jesus was called or pushed into ministry, it started with this opportunity for the Holy Spirit to empower him to, so that he could do the miraculous, so that he could be that representation of God on the earth in full, full force ministry. This is the same Jesus that in Matthew chapter four and verse 23 says this, that Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and delivering the people. So Jesus, we see a pattern after he's been baptized in the Holy Spirit, after the Holy Spirit has come and descended on him like a dove, and that, that new presence, that new understanding of God is at work within him, we see this lined out very specifically. He goes teaching, preaching, healing, delivering. Teaching, preaching, healing, delivering. Now today's church, we're pretty good with two of those especially on Facebook and through social media. We're really good with two of those, teaching and preaching. If you can teach well and you can preach well, awesome. You can have a church, they'll set it up for you. It's not like there's little midgets that come run around and do it for you. You have to actually work or whatever um, and do the job. But people will help you set up the church if you can speak well. And then all of a sudden, we get confronted with the other end of it, the healing and delivering that are we comfortable with the presence of God so empowered on the inside of us that healing and delivering become the natural outworking? Not just preaching and teaching, because we want good solid doctrine, brother. That pastor's got to know his Bible. But we also want the expression to understand and experience the presence of God in a real and tangible way. See, if you can stand and teach and you're articulate, if you got enough, you know, pastor swag, if you can pull off church, man, if you, the band is rocking and they're all in sync and everything's just working and melding together, people may not even realize that the Holy Spirit isn't present in your meetings. People may not realize that the presence of God in the powerful form of the Holy Spirit isn't resonant in your church because everything's so smooth. But when it comes to praying for healing and delivering, if there's no power, it's gonna be evident. If we say we believe that God heals the sick and we go and we lay hands on them as the Bible instructs us, as we anoint them with oil and the elders come around them and there's no power and nothing changes and they don't get better and they stay sick and infirmed, it's gonna be very obvious that nothing changes. 
If we believe that Jesus was delivering them and this is part and parcel to the ministry that he's called us to and we don't have the power resident within us from the Holy Spirit to watch people's lives change, to see them become delivered from emotional scars, from hurts and wounds, to see their hearts bound up and to be remade and to be repackaged as the Holy Spirit's at work within us. If that doesn't happen, if we preach a good gospel and it's eloquent and it's filled with all kinds of theological markers that are true, yet it doesn't have power behind it, eventually the world around us will call us liars and hypocrites. And they've done that to the church to some degree, teaching preaching, healing, and delivering. It's the full complement to the ministry of Jesus. John chapter 14 and verse 12, you don't have to turn there, it'll come up on the screen. And I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. It's reminiscent of the idea uh, that we get later on in scripture in John chapter 16 and verse seven, that if I don't go away, the helper will not come. This is Jesus saying that we have available within us the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to the degree that we can do what he did, that we can say what he said, and to a greater degree that we, we can accomplish ministry with our lives and our efforts even beyond what he did. But many of us are paralyzed by fear because the person and presence of the Holy Spirit is something of a mystery. Because the presence of God and Holy Spirit form, we haven't adopted into our life. And so we learn to sidestep ideas of the Holy Spirit. The early church didn't just go without first waiting and receiving. Acts chapter, four, Acts chapter one and verse four says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that the Father promised you. Acts chapter one and verse eight, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That they were in a prayer meeting in Acts chapter two, verse four through eight, and they were expecting God's promise to be realized. And these men were sitting and waiting, sitting and waiting. And what happens? Their senses are opened up in an experience. They see cloven tongues of fire come and land on each hand. Head. They have a vision, an open heaven a vision of the Spirit and the presence of God. They hear a mighty rushing wind or a sound like a rushing wind. They hear the moving of the Spirit and they start to speak in a language that is unknown to them. They start to experience something even in their own physical bodies that is supernatural. We have an opportunity every day of our lives to experience the Holy Spirit to that degree and to that depth that we see spiritually, that we hear and we are in tune with his voice, that he moves and guides us like that, that rushing and mighty wind and that we start to step out into supernatural experiences. Now, what I'm not saying is that you're gonna turn into some shaman and you're gonna lay hands on people and they're automatically gonna heal. That might happen. Maybe it will. Maybe that's where God's gifted you, but maybe it isn't. Maybe God's gifted you in a different way. You know that the Bible's true that there's a word of wisdom that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And some folks are given a word of wisdom. They're, they're, given, they're given wisdom that they didn't earn. They're given the insight and the ability to see into situations that they couldn't understand for themselves. But the Holy Spirit empowers them. And that's much different than healing. But they're both needed in the body of Christ. And one isn't more miraculous than the other. When you can stand back and say, I spoke to a situation that I have no gravity in. 
that I haven't paved, I haven't paid anything for. I shouldn't know these answers, yet the wisdom of God just kind of crept up from the inside of me and spoke to the situation that is just as miraculous as someone laying hands on a blind man and they can see because both are motivated by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see also that later Peter got up and he went to preach to answer the question when the Holy Spirit came and the experience happened and folks around them started to hear them speak in a language that they didn't know, but it was very, un, but it was very known to the crowd around them, it was in their own language, then in that moment, yes, amen. <laughs> that in that moment, these, this pastor needed to speak to his newfounded congregation and they were asking him the question, what does this mean? And in Acts 2 and verse 33, he said, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received power from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth that which you both see and hear, that God's promise is being demonstrated amongst his people. And then the crowd asked another question, what do we do with what we have? It's the same thing that the crowd asks today. When they encounter the presence of God, when they encounter the power of God in a real way, in a, in a real tangible way, they're going to ask this question, and it's found in Acts 2 and 37, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So he says, once you've encountered, once the world out there encounters the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, they're gonna ask a few questions. What is this for? This is the promise of God that's given to all people that he wants to endow us with a supernatural ability to do the miraculous. Well, what shall we do once we've received? You need to repent, be baptized, and then receive. So once they experience what we have, it's a call to the cross, that the first place we take them is all the way back to the cross, that they understand Jesus came to die in their stead. They understand that he came to die what is a sinner's death, a perfect man, so that we could be redeemed. And once we are redeemed and we accept that fact that we, sim that we symbolize it or we cap it off in baptism, that we go under the water and we come up made new, refreshed in the spirit of God. And that's where most people cut off, they cut off the equation. And they don't move past into the next part is to receive the Holy Spirit. There are so many folks that have accepted Jesus and they've said, cool, I'm good with the idea of Jesus. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. They're good with the idea of baptism. I should probably show my mom that I meant this. So I'm gonna go under the water and come back up. And then we go to this next portion of receiving the Holy Spirit and we get a little tense and hesitant. Now, Paul in Acts 9, a guy who was persecuting the church he had nothing but hate for this new church. He had nothing in his heart but hate for these people who would call themselves Christian to the point that he was killing everyone he could find. And from one murderous journey to another, he found himself at a crossroads where God showed up and a bright light knocked him off his horse. The voice of Jesus comes booming through the clouds and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He talks to him in personal language. He knows his name. He knows his transgressions. And he says, I am Jesus. I am the one you're persecuting. Later, he receives his sight again, but 
Not after he's moved of the Holy Spirit, that he's told of the Holy Spirit, God speaking to his heart and to his person that you need to go here and you need to meet this guy named Ananias and, and he's gonna minister to you. And, and then in this whole Holy Spirit motivated moment after he's been blinded and knocked off his horse, after he's had a real, a real connection with God, the true voice of Jesus speaking to him supernaturally, the Bible says that he was filled of the Holy Spirit after he regains his sight. Now this guy, Paul, had just experienced Jesus, all the feels in the world. I'm sure he felt joy and excitement when he finally repented, but I'm sure he was fearful and wondering if this God of the universe was gonna smite him and cut him down. All the feels, but something happened and it's recorded that after he received sight, that he received the Holy Spirit. So the point here is very simple. Jesus, infilling of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit coming on him. The apostles in the upper room waiting for the promise of God, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Paul, the greatest New Testament theologian we have ever seen, the greatest apologist to the Christian faith, the one who was persecuting the church and whose life was turned around also receiving the Holy Spirit. This same Paul continues in his words in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But he talks of the spirit in which he preaches. He talks of how he delivers this gospel that God has now charged him to preach. He talks of this conversion motivation, and he says that it's with the demonstration of spirit and power, spirit and power. See, if it was just spirit, it could be easy to say the words like this. Yeah, yeah, we, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the idea of the Spirit. The Spirit prompted me. The Spirit led me. You could have a vernacular. We could have a wording that, that says the Holy Spirit is at work, that, that it's nothing more than just words and there's no experience. And it doesn't go beyond that in the demonstration. But Paul said it this way, my message and my preaching were not persuasive words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that we as Christian believers have a responsibility, that once we've run through the gamut, we've, get, we've, been, uh, we've been saved, we've come to the cross, we've been baptized, and we've received, now we have the responsibility not just to preach really good words, not just to win arguments with our doctrine, not simply to try to reshape the culture because we've given them the right formula, but because we've delivered a sense of power in our speaking, power in our delivery that is the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what did it look like to demonstrate spirit, to demonstrate power? Our walk as Christians is nothing less than supernatural. Everything that happens to us as, as Christian believers is supernatural. The fact that you were rescued from an eventual hell and saved to, to heaven is supernatural. We didn't come into the family of God. We didn't come into the kingdom of God by our own merit. We came because Christ did the work for us. He paved the way. And it is supernatural that God would overlook our transgressions and look through the lens of Christ to rescue us and to allow us to be part of the family. Everything in this kingdom is supernatural. You came into the kingdom supernaturally and you will be sustained in the kingdom by supernatural means. You can't even live this out 
under your own power, under your own goodness, under your own magnitude, under your own theology. You have to be endowed with power to truly live what it is to be a Christian. If we don't pursue the things of the Spirit, what will happen? There's consequences. We dilute the gospel. We dilute it to a powerless void that says there's a God of the universe that did all of these wonderful things in the Old Testament, that there's story after story of his miraculous and mighty hand changing the course of humanity. But when it comes to the individual, well, good luck, because he didn't do that anymore. We lose a sense of power We tell stories of a God who parted the waters. We tell stories of a God who crushed walled cities. We tell stories of a God who did the impossible. And then we turn the individual towards Jesus and say it's only supernatural means by which you can come to the cross. And after the cross, we say, well, supernatural ended. Hope you can figure it out. It's a deluded gospel that doesn't work for anyone. It's a deluded gospel that has no power and presence, and it's a deluded gospel that eventually we are called hypocrites and liars because the power that we said we believed in, the power of an Old Testament God doing the miraculous, the power of a New Testament God showing off in the early church all of a sudden becomes null and void because the power is not present in our message. So we dilute the message because we can... We have a good speaking voice. We dilute the message because Sundays look good. The program looks good. The music's hot. It's hopping. The kids' ministry's working. Everything looks good on paper. So we dilute the message and we become programmatic and we think nothing but just natural things and natural order and natural ways of doing things. And we don't allow the Holy Spirit, his due placement to work in the life of our church. If we sidestep the supernatural, we are selling the world something short, something incredibly deficient than what Jesus intended because Jesus intended a gospel that was so full of power in the presence of, of God that it would change their life in a supernatural way, that it, would, that it would change their life instantly from the ground up and remake them. That when we came to this person called Jesus, that it would be by supernatural means, but supernatural means would sustain us through our life. I don't have time to get through all my notes. I went through, I wrote too much stuff down this week, but the idea is that we need to learn to be programmatic, sure, but not at the cost of the prophetic or the supernatural. And I don't mean prophetic in just everything needs to be a word. I mean prophetic in the way that God moves and his spirit is ushered in and he guides us and he motivates us and he calls us that we are sure, we are programmatic. We line out a list of songs to sing. All the kids' ministry have a list of things that they're doing as they're teaching the kids. But there still needs to be the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in every one of those moments. I don't care if they sing two songs or 20 songs on a Sunday morning. If the Holy Spirit's not there, no. No one's life has changed. I don't care what words I've written and copied and pasted to an iPad. If the presence of God isn't here, nothing changes your life. These become dead words over dead air and they affect nothing. But when God's presence is infused, all life change starts to happen. That's why Paul said he didn't come with eloquence of speech, but he came in demonstration of the spirit and power. So the take home for today is very simple. Are you spirit led? I don't mean you flop on the ground like a fish when you get prayed for. 
I don't mean that you run the circles. Man, maybe if that's what you do and you get excited, cool. Have your fun. Be moved emotionally because God moves us emotionally. But the more important aspect is this. If we are led of the Holy Spirit, we are guided by his voice and there's a sense of power that emanates from what we do when we move in what he's called us to. There's a sense, a motivating sense of the power of God that says, yeah, you're on track because watch what I'm gonna do. Yeah, you heard my voice because what looked impossible, I'm gonna overtake and overthrow and dismantle and I'll make the impossible possible. There is something true that when we are led of the Holy Spirit that we don't wonder and think, God, did we make the right step or is this a misstep? No, we move out even on waters that look rocky and turbulent and the Spirit of God holds us up and he allows us to see the miraculous come through. So this morning, I wanna encourage you, are you Spirit-led? Are you led of the Holy Spirit in everything that you do? I'm not saying that it's important to ask the Holy Spirit cornflakes or frosted flakes. That's not the issue. The issue is, are we led of God in where it's important? Are we led of God in those decisions that matter? Are we led of God when we pray? Are we led of God when we speak? Are we led of God in our ministry? The Holy Spirit is active and he's resident in our life if we'll let him to all of you that have been saved, you come to the family of God. The Holy Spirit is active and resonant. He's there if we'll allow him access to speak to our heart.